What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Twisted Mirror. A few quick updates before we start. I just started a YouTube channel for the podcast for anyone who prefers to listen there. It'll be behind schedule for a while as I add season one incrementally. If it's of interest to you, please subscribe and maybe it'll light a fire up my butt to load some episodes a bit faster. In case you missed it, Twisted Mirror now has a Patreon. You'll get episodes at least a week early and bonus content. In fact, a new bonus episode is coming next week. Thanks to the generosity of the patrons, I have already been able to invest back into the podcast by upgrading editing software, which has already saved me hours of work. You can find Twisted Mirror on all the major social media sites. Just look up Twisted Mirror or go to twistedmirrorpodcast.com and click on the links there. And please, if you enjoy the show, take a moment to rate and review Twisted Mirror on your podcast app. Finally, a quick reminder that content warnings are always in the show notes. Now, let's go take a peek at that warped world. How do they celebrate the holidays, I wonder? You are now staring into the twisted mirror. Change is hard. It's easy to just go through the motions. In fact, so much of life is the monotonous slog of repeating the same actions day in and out. From washing dishes and doing laundry yet again to another morning commute. Sometimes you don't even know you're due for a change until something slaps you in the face. Like an event that reminds you just how short life can be. The inertia of all your past decisions makes it difficult to shift directions. It's not just the labor of making a change but the intangible costs, the struggle with your ego, the concerns over what others may think of you, the people who may be hurt by your decision to upend things. So people stay chugging along, the security of the status quo being slightly more comfortable than the heavy lifting of starting over. Today we meet a man who, like many of us, was content to ride the momentum of the life he had built until a mysterious message shows up at his front door. I'd woken up feeling uncharacteristically chipper the morning before everything changed. And well... I don't know about you, but that's rare for me. I've never really been a morning person. It always took me an hour or two to get all my synapses to start properly firing. But on that day, I woke up before the alarm and slipped out of bed without waking up even my wife, Grace. I tiptoed down the stairs before the automatic coffee maker even started its scheduled run. I savored that black coffee in the silence of our dim kitchen. Mm. Silence had become rare and precious. Don't get me wrong, I had a lot to be grateful for. A loyal wife, two beautiful kids, a stable job, a nice house, the 401k with company match. We could afford a big family vacation every year and could eat out a couple of times a week. Maybe even squeeze in some weekend getaways here and there. But sometimes, you just get lost in it all, you know? You're busy serving all these roles. The vacations are now about where the kids want to go. I had to trade in my sedan for a minivan. Trips to the movies? Well, most of the time they have to be PG. Oh, and my weekends. Those precious weekends. Those aren't about me anymore either. 
If there isn't a family obligation, then I'm working on something in the house. I'm not complaining. I love my family. I signed up for this. But you just don't understand what it's like to shoulder all that responsibility until you're in it. There used to be a time I'd just sit down and do nothing. I'd just let my mind wander, turn on the TV and flip through the stations aimlessly and settle onto some random movie. Now, there's always something to do. Something or someone to think about. So that quiet moment to yourself, ones you used to take for granted, they become something of a guilty pleasure. Of course, the serenity didn't last long. I'd say about 15 minutes after my first sip, Grace trudged down the stairs. No doubt the scent of coffee had wafted up and guided her to the waking world. Gimme, she said, reaching out playfully for my coffee. Her hair tousled, her eyes still sleepy, drowning in an oversized holy shirt and sweatpants. I raised my cup up out of her reach and turned to pull a clean mug out of the cupboard. As she pulled her French vanilla creamer out of the fridge, I poured her a cup. Oh, I forgot to mention, we finalized Thanksgiving. Rich is definitely coming with Alma and the kids. Rich? Grace's older brother was, uh, well, he was okay. You know, he's that mildly annoying family member who isn't very sharp, but inexplicably has multiple cars, a lake house, boats, and various toys. He's a big guy who identifies himself as an ex-football player, even though his feet are slow and he actually rode the bench all four years in high school. He runs a bunch of car dealerships, working his way up from a salesman long ago, and he's exactly how you'd expect him to be. Extroverted, loud, occasionally rubs you the wrong way, but at the same time isn't such a dick that you'd hate his guts. It's just that he often jokes in a way that feels like a dig. You know, I think Grace and I have built a nice life for ourselves, but Rich always just finds a way to remind us of his financial superiority. When we bought our 1,800-square-foot house, he casually mentioned that that's the size of his lake house. You know, his second home. When we played kickball at the 4th of July barbecue and everyone else took it easy, he would send the ball flying so far We'd have to spend five minutes retrieving it from the thicket as he smugly trotted the bases. Rich, we're playing with fucking ten-year-olds, man. Grace feels the same way, but he's her brother and she loves him. That's just Rich, she'd say. Rich is exactly the type of guy people say that about. That's just him. So was I thrilled to have him and his brood coming over for the holiday? Well... Alma is nice, frankly too good for him. The kids are cute too. And Rich isn't a terrible human being as far as I know, so ideal. That's just how it is with family, you know? Oh, and they're planning on staying the night, Grace added. You mean in our tiny house? Grace rolled her eyes as she sipped her coffee. Ryan, what? He's always reminding us of how wealthy he is. Can't they afford a hotel? Well, he'll tell you that's how he stays rich. Personally, I think he's overextended on his toys. I then made Grace fill me in on why she came to that conclusion, and she filled me in on some stuff Alma had told her. Little hints that they had been cinching their belts as of recently. Well, maybe he should sell a few of those toys instead of having to slum it with us. Grace shot me a side glance. Yeah, but he's family. And it's one night during the time of year that specifically exists to suffer through family dynamics. The kids rarely get to see their cousins. I want them to be close. Rich, Alma, and the kids are all they have on my side of the family. Yeah, yeah, I mustered. Though I have to admit, I felt a twinge of satisfaction at the thought that Rich might not be feeling so rich these days. I'm just joking, I added, using his go-to line. Grace offered a tired smirk. So, when's your flight? I glanced at the microwave. 11.30-ish. Okay, well, I better get the kids up and ready for school. 
Can you throw together a quick breaky since you don't have to go in as early? Yeah, no problem, hon. You're the best, Grace said, her face instantly disappearing behind the mug of coffee as she took one last big gulp before starting another marathon of a day. As Grace disappeared up the steps, I popped my head into the fridge. Eggs, pork, sausage, and toast for everyone. A classic American breakfast, I decided. As Grace got herself and the kids showered upstairs, I whisked the eggs and started heating up a pan. I enjoyed making the family a hot breakfast, which was hard to come by on a weekday. And as was the theme that morning, I didn't turn on a podcast or the radio or the morning news. Instead, I relished in the simple soundtrack of the egg mix crackling as it hit the piping hot pan and the scent of the sausages as they browned. Maybe it was my serene and present state, almost hypnotic. Or it could have simply been the early hour that had me so startled when someone knocked firmly on our front door. I got that uneasy feeling, you know, the kind anyone gets when they get a knock on the door well outside of normal hours. Good news rarely comes with an unexpected knock at the door so early in the morning or so late at night. At best, it would be a nuisance on what had started out as a perfectly fine day. My eggs were going to burn and whoever was rude enough to knock at this hour would have to wait. The visitor knocked again, slightly louder, but still at an even methodical pace. Now I was just as suspicious as I was vexed. Shit! I pulled the pan off of the burner and speed walked to the door. But when I peeked through the blinds on the glass panel, I saw no one. Anyone there? I asked. Silence. I twisted the blinds open to get a better view of what I was now sure was some little prankster running off. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, I would have missed it and gone on with my day exactly as planned. But just as I was about to close the blinds up again and get back to cooking, my eyes caught it. A little paper airplane on our porch, in front of the door. Now, I was as curious as I was unsettled. Maybe some kid left it for Carson or Winnie, I thought. So I opened the door slowly, peeking side to side just to make sure I had fully scanned the porch. As I lifted the little white airplane, I could see something was written inside the center fold. I pulled the wings apart to reveal just two words, handwritten in swooping, elegant cursive. Don't go. I looked beyond our front yard and out to the still dim streets to see if the culprit was still lurking. But everything was dead quiet, save for about one car five houses down pulling out of their garage. I stepped back into the house, the entire paper plane unfolded, simply staring at those words. Don't go. It wasn't addressed to anyone in particular, but after thinking about it for only a minute, the message felt clear. I had a flight in just a few hours and found myself holding an unraveled paper airplane with simple instructions. Don't go. That optimism I had woken up with was replaced with disquiet. After staring at it for a few more seconds, I came back to my senses and scoffed. This was ridiculous. Was I about to cancel a business trip based on a paper airplane? Likely a silly prank by some kid with too much time on their hands? Of course not. The sound of Grace's footsteps near the top of the stairs, and impulsively, I folded the note and shoved it into the pocket of my sweatpants. Did I hear the door? Uh, no, yeah, some kids playing a prank, I think. They were gone by the time I looked. I don't know why I lied. I never lied to Grace. But in a way, it wasn't a lie at the time. It was a prank. It had to be. I guess it was because I was trying to make sense of it myself first. If I told Grace, it would 
probably freaked her out. And if I'm being truly honest, maybe I was embarrassed about how freaked out I felt. As we sat at the table eating undercooked eggs and overcooked sausage, the sounds of a lively young family, little giggles, forks, and spoons clanging on plates, Grace's melodic voice ushering the kids, all blended into a drone. I could feel the folded edges of the note pressing into my skin through the thin fabric of my shorts. It consumed my thoughts. Of course it was a prank, but it didn't feel like one. We all have that sixth sense, and mine was screaming. It felt like a warning. It was silly. I knew it, and yet I hardly touched my food. My stomach was so turned around. Ryan? Ryan? Huh? I realized then Grace had been calling my name for who knows how long. Even the kiddos were waiting in rapt silence by the time I acknowledged her. Your head's in the clouds. Are you okay? Uh, no. I, um... This was the moment I made a split-second decision. I could have told her the truth about what I found at the door. Or I could have lied and just went about my day and onto that business trip. But instead, I chose another option. One that at the time wouldn't make me look like some paranoid wuss, but would hedge against anything happening in the event the warning was real. I rubbed my temples. I, I suddenly feel off. Grace glanced down at the congealed eggs and two untouched links. You haven't touched your food. She looked back up at me. And you're pale as a ghost. I had my out. I'm too sick to get on a plane, especially in our brave new post-COVID world. Yeah, I just feel like I'm going to be sick. You know, you know that heady feeling you get before something hits you, like a, like a wave? Oh, no, honey. Grace got up and placed the back of her hand against my forehead. Is Daddy sick? Our little Winnie asked. I rubbed her silky thin hair. It's okay, sweetie. I just think I have a little bug. I think I'm going to lie down for a bit. You're going to have to call in, huh? Grace asked. We'll see. Maybe it's nothing and I'll turn around and be able to catch the flight. I'll work it out with Ron. If you're sick, he'll have to understand. You can't go spreading bugs to clients anyway. I don't think I could even if I wanted to. We have a pretty strict protocol to stay home and get COVID tested twice before coming into the office now. Plus, you can't get on a plane sick either. Grace gasped. You know, you don't think you have COVID, do you? No, but it doesn't matter. I'll have to stay home anyway until cleared. With that, I trudged up the stairs into our bedroom. Suddenly, I was tired again, the way I always was these days. I peeked over my shoulder before pulling out the note again. Don't go. I opened my underwear drawer and slid the note to the bottom. After a quick call to Ron, my boss, and to my assistant Heather to send my apologies to my clients and to cancel my flight, I slipped under the covers to play the convincing role of sick husband. It wasn't too long after that that I'd fallen asleep. When I woke up, there was a new note waiting for me on the bedside table and next to it a little French press of fresh tea. This time, the author was no mystery to me. Busy running errands, I hope you feel better. I'll pick up some COVID tests. Left you the nectar. Heart. The nectar was what she called this tea she made when anyone got sick. Green tea infused with honey, lemon, cinnamon, and some other stuff I never bothered to figure out. I touched its side and it was still warm. I sat up to pour myself a cup, but first checked my phone. Holy shit, I guess I pulled off the sick routine a little too well as it was already 11.40. The wake-up felt like the complete opposite of the first. I felt groggy and foolish. 
I was missing out on a business trip because of a freaking paper airplane some mischievous nine-year-old probably left. I poured myself some of the nectar, hoping it worked as much for oversleeping as it did for sore throats, and sipped it in the dead quiet of the house. Just a couple minutes later, I heard Grace enter through the front door along with the sounds of her settling her things down, then turning on the TV as she often did while tending to household matters. There was a familiar breaking news jingle of her favorite 24-7 news channel, which meant nothing these days as they used it for updates as insipid as celebrity divorces. I opened up my phone again, this time scrolling through news alerts. Just as my eyes laid on the headline, Grace called my name from downstairs. Ryan? Ryan, honey, are, are you up? I knew what she was looking at. Because I was looking too. Yes, I'm up. What was the flight you were supposed to be on? I was already looking through my flight confirmation emails to confirm the terrifying news. I felt sick. For real this time. Breaking. Flight 832 plummets into the Atlantic Ocean shortly after takeoff. My hand trembled as I stood up and walked down the hall, though it felt more like I was floating. Then down the steps, staring at the flight confirmation on my phone, and then at the television, confirming to myself yet another time that I didn't get the numbers mixed up. It was like winning the worst lottery on Earth. I stared at the footage of the fuselage floating in the dark ocean against the backdrop of an early autumn gray sky. Chiron skimmed along too fast for my stunned brain to process, and I only picked up on what seemed necessary to understand. No survivors. What was your flight number? Grace asked again. I looked up and her eyes grew twice their size. She knew just by looking at me. Of course she already knew. It said right on the screen that the destination was Grand Rapids, where I was headed. I'm sure she was just holding on to hope that there was never a chance of me getting on that flight. 8.32, I muttered, before sitting down on the sofa, entranced by the constant cycling of flashing words and images on the television. Oh my god. Oh my god. I heard Grace repeat behind me. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Between the fake COVID scare and the news that I had miraculously missed one of the most devastating plane crashes in recent history, I took a few days off of work to get over the shock of it all. Grace was so thrilled, she didn't even care to ask why I didn't actually get sick. I didn't care to put up the facade. That my false alarm turned out to be nothing was a welcome miracle. My boss and clients weren't the least bit upset about the cancellation after the news. What monster would be? This was good news for us, right? We dodged a bullet. Uh, no, we dodged a plane crash. But something changed in me, and I guess Grace, too. Of course, you hear all those stories about near misses. Like that person who woke up late for work at the World Trade Center on 9-11. And those who are wild enough on their own. But this was different. This wasn't some odd coincidence. Had I not received that mysterious note, I would have gotten on that plane. I have no doubt. I was targeted. Someone out there had warned me, and only me. There were no other reports from the hundreds of other passengers' families of a single paper airplane. 
I didn't know what to do with that information. The circumstances that led to the crash only added to the mystery. Turns out the pilot left a note that wasn't found in his home until after the crash. He had decided to commit suicide and take the plane with him. He was a complete stranger to me. Even if for some unimaginable reason I surmised that he found out I was on the manifest and decided to warn only me? The famous CCTV footage of him having a decadent final breakfast at a hotel restaurant around the time I heard the knocking that morning? A hotel that was 40 minutes away cleared up any notions of that. So who did leave the plane? Why me? I was just some average insurance attorney living a relatively quiet life. And Grace? Grace got very sentimental. Which wasn't surprising. What was surprising was the sudden revival, or should I say birth, of her faith. Grace grew up Catholic, but, but you know, she did her communion, believed in God and all that, and then sinned like the rest of us. We only went to church on Easter and midnight mass, if that. But Grace was sure something else was at play here. My sudden and passing illness had to have been divine intervention. I guess I can't blame her for believing that. It's hard to explain why someone like me, the kind of guy who never missed a scheduled day of work, decided to cancel an entire business trip on that day. When you have a brush with death, it changes you. For some, it makes them want to hold their loved ones closer. And at first it did. That night, the kid's too young to truly understand what was going on, but old enough to feel something big had happened, slept in our bed with us. I was truly grateful. But as I lay there staring at the shadow the oak tree outside our bedroom window cast on the ceiling, all I could think about was that note and its origins. The other thing that happens when you have a brush with death is you gain clarity. Maybe clarity isn't the right word for it. I guess you could say you see your life through a new lens. Every decision you've ever made and all the future plans you've had for yourself, you find yourself looking at them from different angles, seeing them with fresh eyes. It's almost as if you're evaluating someone else's life. I could have fucking died. Would I have been pleased with my life? Would I have felt I had done everything I wanted to do? Had I ever actually asked myself that question or did I just go from one thing to the next, following the list of things I felt I was supposed to do? It felt like some force in the universe had smacked me on the head, had pointed at me from the heavens and said, Ryan Stankowski, you have been sleepwalking. You almost ceased to exist. Is this the fucking life you want? Litigating insurance claims and spending all week working and tending to kids so you can use your precious weekends to run to Home Depot? Also, you can just rinse and repeat? I thought I was happy. I had always been so good. I had done everything right. I was boring. I was bored. I would have died and been just another suburban dad who barely gets laid and has to deal with an annoying fucking brother-in-law every Thanksgiving. It had all seemed fine up until that morning. The morning I became a dead man reborn. So, I got quiet. I turned inward. How could I tell Grace these thoughts I was having? I convinced myself it was just the shock, the trauma of it all, as Grace hugged me and I felt nothing. Or as the kids played and laughed but felt like characters I was watching on a TV show, our home being the set. And therapy? I'm sure you're thinking I needed that. For what? I survived. Nothing happened to me. 
What kind of a bitch do I have to be to weep to a therapist about the thing that happened to a bunch of people as I slept in my cozy bed? The first day back at work, I was practically a hero. Endless pats on the back and clapping as I walked down the lane of cubicles. But I felt like a liar. I had told no one about the note. See, the thing I didn't account for was the fact that I would feel shame. If that note got out and the families of all those people learned I had been given this knowledge, they would blame me for not having acted. The endless mob of judgment on social media would begin. My boss would figure out I had lied about feeling sick. Sure, all's well that ends well. But that would only add to the belief that I took the message seriously enough to lie, to save my own ass, and left those people to plummet to a violent, watery death. It wouldn't matter that no one would have taken me seriously and that the flight would have likely taken off anyway. It's so good to have you back, Maverick, Heather said, as everyone went back to their seats. Good to be back, Goose, I answered with a smile, though that was a lie too. Heather added, this suddenly feels a little too on the nose considering how things went for him. We both laughed. I hadn't laughed since before it all happened. Grace was too emotional about the whole thing to make light of it. Heather had only been around for a few months before the crash, but we had grown a real rapport. She had a great sense of humor, and we clicked right away. She was whip-smart, too, always keeping things smooth sailing so I could focus on my work. You didn't have to tell her anything twice. She could just intuit what needed to be done, like a grade-A executive assistant should. Hence the Goose and Mav nicknames. And fuck it. I know I'm going to sound like a cliché. But Heather was hot. I'm not some sort of creep, okay? I didn't undress her with my eyes or even think about her that way. But there's no doubt that she was the total package. Just a really cool girl, you know? She always laughed at my jokes and made me feel hip again. Work really slogged along for me. Listen, I, I never felt some intense calling to do my job. But I took pride in my work. I made a nice salary. I helped people. Being back in the office, everything felt so small. Taking care of someone's insurance claim felt so insignificant. So when Heather mentioned she was going to happy hour with some friends and wanted to get me a celebratory drink, I obliged. I had always turned down these post-work festivities to get home as quickly as possible. But come on. I don't know if you heard, but I had almost died. And I don't think I'd been out for drinks after work like that since before the kiddos were born. So I texted Grace that I had lots to catch up on and would be home late. That night was a blast. Heather and a couple of her friends hung out with us, and as the evening wore on, her friends left. Then it was just Heather and me. For the first time since the crash, I felt like I existed again. And that's how it started. How I became a cliche. Don't make that face. I get it. The almost 40-year-old guy getting intimate with his 28-year-old assistant. But I promise nothing happened that first night. Or even a few other nights after that. It was never my intention. But the quality time led to inside jokes, which led to texts and more invites to happy hour and then late nights at the office. All the while, Grace was smothering me. She wanted us to start going to church. She started getting so needy, asking me why I was so distant and insisting I needed to fight for work-life balance. She even suggested I go to therapy because of survivor's guilt. She kept saying I was withdrawing from the family. My God, Grace, couldn't you just get a life and stop needing me for every fucking thing? I worked my ass off for our lifestyle. And so she could stay home with the kids. Yet she forced me to deal with her shithead brother always trying to emasculate me. 
God knows what she did all day while I was at work, but as soon as I would walk through the door, she always needed me to do something for the kids. Did she have any idea how exhausting my job was? The crash, then getting to know Heather, it was like I was asleep all this time and finally awakened. I was just going through the motions before, following a script. Heather, the way she looked at me, she admired me. She saw what I did, all those cases I nailed. She made me feel like a man. And that's how things went until Thanksgiving. By then, all I could think about was being with Heather. But I put on my biggest smile and welcomed Rich, Alma, and my nephews. It was the holidays, after all. Things started with a bang. As soon as Rich walked through the door, greeting me with slightly too hard of a backslap, he started calling me Lone Survivor. I know it's not technically an insult, but it just comes off as one when he does it. As Alma and Grace wandered off to the kitchen and the kids ran upstairs to play, Rich and I sat down. I grabbed him a beer and turned on the Thanksgiving game. So, lone survivor. The crash thing. That was wild, man, huh? Despite the nickname, it was rare for Rich to show an interest in me. So I figured I'd fully engage in the holiday season. Well, yeah, it's been strange. Go! Did you see that? He shouted as the QB came out of the gate with a big throw for a touchdown. I'll tell you what, if it hadn't been for my knee, I'm sure. All right, everyone, let's get to the table, Grace called out. This Thanksgiving was extra important to her. She really wanted us all to reconnect after the events of the previous months. We all took our places around the feast. Rich immediately stuck his hand out for the mashed potatoes and Grace swatted it away. With a nervous smile, she proclaimed, Before we start, I would like to say Grace. This has been, well, I just feel like there is so much to be thankful for this year. Rich peeked over at me and I shrugged. The food isn't going anywhere, guys, okay? Now everyone, hold hands. Yep, yes, you too. Just like that. Heavenly Father, I know this is often a holiday where empty platitudes get tossed around, but I truly feel you have shined your light on this family. We are so grateful that Ryan is here with us today. I started to feel nauseous. Grace used to be fun and spontaneous. We used to do the things Heather and I do now, like steal away into a bar bathroom to fuck. When did she become so matronly? I really feel like a miracle occurred. And I am so grateful to still have my best friend, the father of my children, here with me at this table. And I ask that you guide him through anything he might be feeling or going through. What I'm going through? What the fuck, Grace? Which darted his eyes over at me again. All of us. I hope you guide all of us. And keep this family close and healthy. I am thankful that you have provided for us and I pray that you continue to bless us. She could sense the impatience of the crowd and started to speed up. And I pray for the needy, that tonight they are fed and warm. Amen. Amen. Well, okay, Mother Teresa, Rich interjected. Rich! Alma, his wife and handler, scolded. We all dove into the meal. At first, things were quiet, other than the sounds of eating as we initially loaded our bellies. While my palate was pleased, Grace's prayer had turned me inward. I felt like shit. She was trying, and yet, it was so pathetic. These new lenses had changed the way I saw her irreparably. Chatter picked up around the tables. I opted to keep my mouth busy with seconds instead. Did you see the new truck we came in? You should come down to the dealership and trade in the minivan. I'll give you a good deal. We're fine, I said. 
Suit yourself. Grace stiffened, but I tried to keep the mood light by moving on. I tuned out as they blathered on. My focus circled back into the conversation just in time to hear Rich. Yeah, we're going to Hawaii. This amazing five-star resort. Oh, that sounds amazing. We're way overdue for a vacation, but... I don't know about getting on a plane for that long right now, Grace replied. Oh, I completely understand, Alma said. But you can't avoid them forever, right? Rich turned to me, holding his fork and knife, still chewing on his turkey. Ryan, you should take her on a trip. Seems like you two are always pinching pennies. YOLO, right? Seems like you two are trying to pinch pennies yourself by staying here tonight. Ryan, Grace called out. Yeah, I know, it was unnecessary. But I was a new man and there was something liberating about not caring about blowing up this Thanksgiving dinner. My comment chilled the room about 30 degrees. Well, damn, I didn't know it was like that, Ryan. I thought we were family. Yeah, we are, I replied. Mikasa es su casa. After deep freezing the warm environment of the dinner, it seemed everyone finished their meals a lot faster than usual. That's when Grace pulled me into the kitchen. What was that? What? You're just making everything awkward. Ha! Huh, me? I am? What about Rich? Why is it always me who has to be the bigger person? Is anything he said really awful? He offered you a deal on a truck and suggested we go on a trip. Come on, you know it's never that simple. He just always has to one-up. There always has to be a jab hiding in whatever he says. Well, maybe I agree. Maybe I do want to go to Hawaii. In my mind's eye, I could see Heather's silhouette on an oceanfront balcony. It's not about that. You're right, it's not. What is going on with you? Ever since this whole thing happened, you've changed. You're just moody and quiet and distant. You're always coming home later. You don't pay attention to the kids as much. Listen, I get this thing is weird and traumatic. I've changed. Suddenly you're wanting us to go to church every week. I didn't sign up for this religious awakening. I'm sorry I'm so grateful you're still here. I'm sorry that I'm searching for reasons. Maybe there is no reason. Maybe the world is random. Do you think I was chosen? That those other people deserve to die? No, I, I never said that. We stood there in silence for a few seconds. I didn't know what to say to her. I didn't know how to comfort her in a way that felt authentic. You know, this was really important to me. I just wanted us all to come together with gratitude. And I wanted to tell you something I've been afraid to because you're just not yourself anymore. Tell me something? Tell me what? Maybe she knew about the letter. Maybe she saw something. Brian. I'm pregnant. It's like all the air exited my body in one huge deflating exhale. Wow. How long did you know this? I just took a test a couple of weeks after the crash. You seemed so quiet, so stressed. I figured I could wait until you had regained your footing a bit. But Ryan... I keep waiting and waiting. I need you. We need you. She took my hand and placed it on her belly. Okay. Okay. I just... I just need to collect myself for a moment. It's not this, it's the whole dinner. Rich, the way it went down... The kids want to go sledding. I just need to reset for a few minutes outside, okay? Grace raised an eyebrow, but she nodded. Okay. It's gonna be okay, I assured her.
She gave me this look. Like my words gave her relief amidst the sadness and uncertainty. I walked out through the kitchen onto the back deck. It was cold, the kind of dry cold that invigorates you when you first step out. A third child was on the way. Every emotion and thought swirled. I couldn't tell who I was versus who I was supposed to be any longer. Was I the man who would continue to cheat on his pregnant wife? Or even worse, leave her in the midst of this pregnancy? She sat at our dinner table and thanked the Lord for my survival. I wondered if she knew. Would she wish I had died? Or was I the man who would text Heather right then and tell her I couldn't do this anymore? The man who would do the right thing, the honorable thing, even if his heart wasn't in it any longer? A man whose loyalty would override his desires? I sighed and watched my breath trail up to the heavens. The heavens I was supposed to plummet from almost two months ago. A light flurry had started to fall. Snowflakes landed on my sweater, the kind that are so massive that you can see the actual pattern of the snowflake. Like Carson or Winnie had folded up tiny pieces of paper and cut them out themselves. I watched them descend down onto the deck. And that's when I saw it. Resting on the newel at the top of the deck stairs was a piece of paper folded into the shape of a vehicle. A truck. I glanced back through the glass panel door with a view all the way through to the living room where Grace, Rich, and Alma were talking about something, sipping on their festive drinks and their festive sweaters. I walked up to the paper truck, unraveling the complex origami. And there they were again. Those two words, handwritten in flawless calligraphy. Don't go. I spun around, looked up and down, ran down the steps into the snow-covered backyard looking for the culprit. Of course, there was no one. I stared at the words once more, deciphering their implication. Of which this time, I was more certain than the last. I chuckled and nodded to myself. Maybe Grace was right. Maybe someone was looking out for me. I folded up the paper into a flat square. There was no chance I was getting it back into that truck shape. I took a deep breath and let a huge trail of steam blow out through my lips. It was as if the weight of all my troubles floated away in that ethereal plume. Then, I smiled. I let myself back into the kitchen. Grace, uh, honey, can you come here for a minute? I called out. Uh, yeah. Grace walked in, her body language insecure. I took her hands. I, I don't know what's gotten into me. You're right. I guess ever since the crash, I've been dealing with a lot of emotions. I know I'm supposed to feel happy I didn't get on that flight, but I feel conflicted. Maybe I could have done something. Hey. Hey, baby, no. How could you think there's anything you could have done? I don't know. I just feel off. I've felt off since it happened. And I didn't want to put it on you. Who the hell feels shitty about not dying? Grace embraced me and I held her in my arms. Listen, if you want me to go to therapy, I will. A and we'll book a trip to Hawaii as soon as I can get away from work. A baby moon, okay? Rich and Alma can watch the kids. They owe us from when we watched theirs when they went to Paris. Grace gently laughed. <laughs> okay. Her eyes were so massive and glossy. She looked so relieved to have me back. And I I'm sorry if I'm getting creepy about the religion thing. It's just you, the kids, and Rich are all I have. 
that's it. The thought of losing you was putting me in a dark place and it felt like, I don't know, like something singled you out. But maybe it is just luck. And with you dealing with your own thing, it's been a comfort. But I shouldn't push anything. It's okay. Really. We're going to get through this, Grace. And I should have never made you feel so alone. No matter what I was going through. And you have every right to believe whatever you want. She nodded. Okay. Hey. Why don't you and everyone go sledding? I'll, I'll stay back and clean up. Oh, no, that's okay. We want you to come. The kids would love for you to, of course. I'll catch up. You worked so hard on this meal while I sat around moping. Why don't you have Rich take you all in the new truck? A test drive. Maybe I'll take him up on the offer after all. She leaned back. Ryan Stankowski? Are we trading in the sex mobile? I'm a fan of practicality, but maybe we can add something new to the fleet. I'll meet up with you all in the sexmobile once I'm done here. You can take the dad out of the minivan, but you can't take the minivan out of the dad. We kissed. Then Grace rounded up everyone to head out to the giant hill, as was the post-Thanksgiving meal tradition. I shook hands with Rich, told him I was being a dick at dinner, and he assured me it was no biggie. Lone survivor. I saw them all off with a beaming smile. Grace, Carson, Winnie, Alma, Rich, Rich Jr., and Tractor. Then I closed the door and let my body melt against it. I pulled out my phone. I've been thinking about you all night. I want to taste you. I hope it was quick and painless. I hope they didn't see it coming. I hope they were all singing a Christmas song together and that Grace's last thoughts were filled with hope and happiness. As someone in the industry, I had some sizable policies and a lot of them. I helped craft Rich's will and life insurance policies. So I knew I'd get what he had set aside for our side of the family. Despite all his bluster, he always had a soft spot for his little sister and our kids and wanted to make sure they were taken care of in the event of his untimely demise. Besides his kids, she was the only blood family he had. I'd be able to start over. I could retire early. I'd use the second chance I was given. I would truly be reborn. As I headed towards the kitchen to clean up the mess... I typed another message to Heather. I'm taking you to Hawaii this spring, a five-star resort. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.